0: weeks this is the ninth message out here and by God's grace we're going to finish up chapter 12 today I'm having fun out there boy thinks you want to go to child ministry doesn't it I hear they get snacks too is, that, is there any truth to that maybe my wife says maybe Matthew chapter 12, we're at the end of the chapter. I'm going to read verses 46 through 50. Jesus kind of shifts gears here a little bit in that, you know, he's gone from one conflict to the next with the religious crowd. He's kind of let the Pharisees and the lawyers uh, square off with him. He's put them in their place. They're really frustrated with him because they can't best him. They can't outmaneuver him intellectually. They can't stand against him theologically and they're frustrated with him because the supernatural has visited his ministry in such a way that it's making them look spiritually impotent. And uh, at the end here, Jesus shifts gears a little bit, gives us some principles. Um, you know, he speaks to his disciples in a little incident here that happens in 46 through 50. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, thank God for the word this morning. And then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for the word. And thank you that we can come together and worship In this place. And Holy Spirit, thank you for moving on our hearts and for the anointing that we feel. Lord, what a privilege it is to experience your presence. Father, may we never become callous to it, but always enjoy the richness of your presence. Lord, let the word come alive to us this morning. Give us ears to hear. Let us be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you change us from the inside out by the word in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 12 here. This little incident here where Jesus' family shows up that I'm going to read also happens in Mark 3, verse 31 through 34, and Luke 8, 9 through 21. So uh, Matthew is the text we're looking at here today, but realize some of those versions give a little bit different details, but very similar, so I won't read them. But starting in verse 46, it says this. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and his brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Chapter 12 closes down. Let's take a look at all of what Jesus is saying there by implication. This verse makes some powerful points. I'm going to tell you the three uh, points that Jesus makes here. We're going to revisit these thoughts at the end of the message as we tie it all together. But the powerful points that Jesus makes are this. He makes points about personal access. And personal access, who has access to you? Uh, With our modern technology, with our phones, it seems like everyone and anyone has access to us at all times, and they can disrupt us at any time and tell us that our coverage is worn out on our car. If you ever in a shipwreck and on a deserted island, they'll find you. But personal access is something that Jesus makes a point here about. He also makes a point about real intimacy. Say real. Real. Uh, Nobody likes fake people. Nobody likes fake relationships. Ever had to be around a person that's fake? You know they talk about you. You know they don't like you, and they see you. Oh, hello. (laughs) You know, it's like in your home when you're fighting, and the whole family's arguing, and the phone rings. Hello. Hello. Leonardi residence. Real intimacy. Not fake. Jesus also makes some points about the importance of family. Now, family is a theme here we're going to explore this morning. We can all agree, I hope, that family was God's idea and that family is still very important. Everyone still believe that? Now, I know there is no perfect family. All families have issues. All families are dysfunctional. The first family, Adam and Eve, they had issues. They allowed sin to enter in and divide the relationship. They had children, two sons. One of them rose up and killed the other one. Amen? I mean, so there was no perfect family, not even from the inception of family. But it was still God's idea, and it's still important. No matter how much our world tries to, you know, marginalize it or make it seem like it's not important, but family is important, and it was God's idea. Now, I want, I want to say something. A healthy, godly family these days is a rare thing. In fact, you got a better chance of seeing Bigfoot riding a unicorn and snapping a photograph. <laughs> Some days then it seems like seeing a family that's not completely dysfunctional. I mean, it's a rare thing today. And I want to say, you know, that was not God's intention and that we can do better. I want to give you some contemporary family dynamics. Some statistics here are gleaned off the Internet so you know it's true. (laughs) The statistic is that I got that families on average spend 37 minutes a day connecting with each other during the weekdays. 37 minutes, And, you know, believe it or not, that's higher than it was just a little while ago. Families on the weekends are all over the place. Their houses are divided with household chores and domestic errands and separate activities and kids running in all different directions. In fact, today's family spent only two hours and 40 minutes together connecting on the weekends. Man, I remember when I grew up, I woke up, we were all there, we ate, we got in the car, we didn't come. We were together all the time. Anybody remember that family meal sitting at the table? Not, you know, eating a meal made at home that didn't come in a bag. Families spend less than seven days per year vacationing together. TV, computer, social media, phone, and screen time has cut deeply into every relationship. All family interactions are clouded by our technology spouses sit in the living room and text each other on the same couch if you want the kids to come down for dinner you shoot them a text where are you only this this is a statistic that really jarred me only 20 percent of american families attend church together weekly 20 percent and if you're thinking that's not that bad that's bad That means 80% of America is not getting fed together. They're not growing spiritually together. they're, They're not having spiritual development. Their houses aren't in order. Why? Because we need to come to the house of God on the Lord's Day. Amen. As families, fathers, as priests need to be taking in the word, covering our families, ministering to our wives, loving our children. Jesus makes some point about families here. Now, just a reminder, a godly family starts with godly parents. Amen? You can't blame everything on the children. The parents set the tone. Now, I know it's a tough generation, and I know, you know, uh, it's a tough generation. But godly families start with godly parents, fathers who are present, fathers who are present and active in the home. Fathers who provide and protect and cover their families. Mothers who are present and engaged, who love and nurture and serve their families. Feminism has made it so that women feel like it's, it's, a, it's a lowly thing that they would stay home and keep the house in order and serve their family meals. And the truth is, ladies, you're the only one that makes a house a home. If it was up to the guys, we'd still be living in caves eating with our hands. So if there's any hope to have order in the house, we need ladies and mothers who are present, fathers who serve and love and lay their lives down. Amen. We can do better this morning and we need to. Now, in verse 46, Jesus's family shows up. His mother and his brother show up. Uh, Jesus is doing what Jesus does. He's ministering to the multitudes. He's thronged by a huge crowd to the point where his family can't just walk up to him and say, hey, what's going on? No, they show up and Jesus is knee deep in ministry. I wonder, how many would agree, you know, that growing up as a kid, that would be a great thing for your mom to catch you doing? anybody ever, Anybody ever get caught doing something they weren't supposed to do? Some of you are trying to look so holy right now. I and mean, mom catching you doing all kinds of stuff, sneaking out, stealing cookies, eating eating cold cuts out, drinking milk out of the carton. Jesus' mother shows up and he's ministering. He's like, this is good. And they want to have interaction with him, but Jesus is knee-deep in ministry, and he's ministering to the multitudes. Now, I want you to think about this. His family shows up, and that's supposed to be, you know, the important people, the people he should, you know, really be connecting with. Yet he's ministering to the multitudes. Now, the multitudes were not his kin. They were not his blood. And for the most part, they weren't there for the right reasons. Most of the time, the crowds were there just to see the show. What do crowds gather for? To be entertained. Amen at a sporting event, at a comedy show, at a music, crowds gather to be entertained. So Jesus has got these multitudes there that they're not related to him. They're not his blood. Yet his family shows up. And I want you to see this. He, He puts off his family and he continues to minister to the multitudes. And that very fact that he does that makes a powerful point to us. Now, in verse 47, somebody at the event here, the text doesn't say who, doesn't say it was one of his disciples. We don't know who it was, but somebody spots Jesus's family and calls his attention to the fact that they're looking to connect with him. Uh, Look what it says here. Someone said to him, behold, how would you like to make it to the Bible, but your name doesn't get in there? I, I was someone. was it you? Yeah, it was me. I was someone. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Now, The the fact that they're there, maybe Jesus doesn't know, but at this point, it's called to his attention. And look what he does. He doesn't drop everything to accommodate them. He doesn't turn his back on the multitudes and run because his mom is there and his brothers are there. No, the the fact is that he continues to minister to the multitudes uh, and he doesn't drop everything to accommodate them. And there's a powerful principle in there. Jesus's point in this situation is not that he's independent now. You know, sometimes when we grow up, we want to be, we want to show that we're independent of our parents, right? You know, usually when our teens and our 20s, when we still know everything, you know, and our parents are still dumb, you know, remember that phase? Then you get old enough to realize, man, I don't know nothing, and I need to ask dad, and I want to know what mom, you know, we want to be independent. Jesus wasn't showing his independence here. He wasn't like, you know, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not beholden to my family. I'm Jesus, and this is Jesus' live tour here, and we got a big crowd, and, and I'm just going to, you know, I'm busy. No, he's not showing his independence. He's not trying to be exclusive. Well, if you'd like to meet with Jesus, make an appointment. You know, some people try to act like they're exclusive. You ever try to get an appointment with certain people? Ever try to get in with a doctor that's really good? Oh, he's really good. You can't get in to see him. You know, you just got to wait for like six months until you're dead. Then you can see him. Jesus is not independent. Jesus is not being exclusive. He's not saying he didn't love his mother. He's not saying, well, I got issues with my brother, you know, sibling rivalries. You know, I'm not, you know, I got issues with them guys. No, he wasn't suggesting any of that. The fact that he doesn't drop everything and run to them, it's making a point, but it's not that point. His family had so much time with him. They'd spent so much time with him. He grew up with them. They had so many experiences with him and so many opportunities to believe in him that the fact that he doesn't drop everything and run to them is showing that he really, he's being loving and fair, not to his family, but to the multitudes. You see, the multitudes didn't get any time with him. They didn't experience his presence. They didn't get to interact with him. And what he's saying here, it's not, it's not that I don't love my family. It's not that I don't respect my mother. It's just that I want everybody to experience my presence so that they can know me and believe in me and be saved. Amen. Jesus is showing here that he's no respecter of persons. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Not just if they're a relative or his favorite or have close proximity. No, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. He's showing that he loves everyone. He's showing that the multitudes are just as important to him as the people who raised him. He's showing that he's no respecter of persons and he wants everyone to experience his presence. And that's what we've got to get this morning. There's more here as we, we dig in. But the first point is that Jesus loves everyone. And he wants everyone to experience his presence. You say, who is Jesus for? Jesus is for everyone. He's not just for the rich or for the smart or the wealthy or the intelligent. He, he doesn't just like certain crowds. We've got to get this. Because sometimes we are so saved and so in the church that we forget that Jesus cares about the people outside the four walls of the church, not just in the church. When we were out there running, running wild and going crazy, you know, and all these people are in here getting blessed and feeling the presence of God not knowing what they were missing, we needed to take the light out into the darkness and shine it to them. Why? Because Jesus wants them to experience him. Come on, don't just sit there this morning. Amen? Well, that sounds like work, Pastor. I ain't clapping for that because then they'll sign me up for something. yeah, we got some work to do. Jesus had some work to do. He didn't drop everything and just run to his mom. He did the father's will. And we're going to take a look at uh, what, what is happening here. He loved his mother. He loved his brothers, but he also loved those lost multitudes and he wanted them to experience his presence. Now, I'll say it again. Family is important, but God expects us to honor uh, the kingdom of God above all things. Amen. Yes, we have to honor our parents. It's one of the commandments. Yes, we must love our spouses and serve our spouses. Yes, we must parent our children. I think this generation has forgotten to parent their children. And they think, well, you know, I need to be their pal or their buddy or their friend. Your children have pals and buddies and friends. They need a mother and they need a father and they need godly parents to speak into their life. They need somebody to counsel them and tell them no and say, don't don't do that and give them a word of the Lord. Amen? Jesus loved his mother. He loved his brothers, but he also loved the lost, and so should we. So the kingdom has to be above all things. And uh, we used to say something at Bible school, the call above all. Amen? You say, well, that that sounds a little bit, you know, like you were in a cult. No, they were just... (laughs) They were just preparing us for the fact that if the call of God on your life is not above everything else, you're not going to make it in ministry. That was the truth. I'm coming up on almost 30 years of full-time ministry here. We're, in a couple of years, we're going to be married 30 years this year. My poor wife, pray for her. 30 years, you, there should be some sort of trophy. You're going to get to sit right next to Jesus in heaven. But the kingdom has to be above all things. And uh, Jesus says something in Luke 14 that kind of drives this point home, and I want you to listen to it. Luke 14, 26 is a jarring scripture. And as soon as you hear it, you're gonna be like, whoa, this is one of those that, you know, I like to read over quick. It says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What? This is right up with there. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus, what are you doing here? Is this a crowd dispersal technique? Are you kidding me with this? If anyone comes to me, anyone, that's all of them, all of his disciples, and does not hate. That's a harsh word, isn't it? It's almost an ugly word in the text as you read that. Does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, hate is a strong word. And if we, you know, a lot of times we'll look at that and go, well, he didn't really mean that. You know, he must have meant something different. If you look at that word in the Greek, you know, the New Testament written in Greek translated into English. The Greek word for hate there that's translated is the word misao And it means to detest. So you could read it like this. If anyone comes to me and does not detest his father, his mother, his wife, and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I don't know about you, but that didn't make it any better. Detest <laughs> might sound worse than hate. And and here it is, Jesus saying, you, you know, he's, he's trying to make a point here. We can't soften it down and say, you know, uh, he didn't really mean that. We're going to look at that in a minute. But think about that. If you, if you model what is said there, you hate, you detest. Maseo, you know, father, mother, wife, children. If you do all that, I mean, that sounds like a narcissistic sociopath with a self-loathing issue. That's a crazy person. That's an episode of Criminal Minds right there. Yes, I'm very spiritual. I hate my mother and my father. Did I mention I hate my wife and my children also? What in the the world is Jesus saying here? You know, we can't soften it up and say he didn't really mean that. Why? Because that same word, meseo, is translated throughout the New Testament and other places, and and it's a strong word that means hate. In Revelations 2.15, the uh, the book of Revelation, he he says to the church of Pergamos in chapter 2, he says that what? He hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which suppress the laity and, and lord it over them with religious systems. He said, I hate that. And it's that same word, miseo. it's a strong word. So Jesus meant exactly what he said here. You know, a lot of people will read certain passages in the Bible and go, well, he didn't really mean that. You know, he was just firing for effect. He was just trying to swing the pendulum so far to the other side that he'd get their attention. You know, Jesus was having an off day. He needs to switch to decaf and he's, you know, he's overwhelmed. No, he meant what he said. And here's the point. The point is, if there's any thing in our life, any other relationship or person or creature comfort or anything in our life that is more important to us than the kingdom of God, we are going to have a hard time being his disciples. If my wife is more important to me than Jesus, we have a problem in our marriage. If my children are more important to me than Jesus, we got a, I got a problem in my relationship with Jesus if my job, if my guitars, if my hobbies, come on, if any of this stuff gets in between me and Jesus, we got an issue. And Jesus is saying, you you, you can enjoy those things, but when it comes to choosing whether you're going to serve me, love me, and do what I've called you to do, or to to have those things, you've got to hate those things. Because if not, you're not going to serve me. The Bible says we can't serve two masters. How many people have walked away from God, walked away from the kingdom, walked away from the call of God on their life for their comfort, for their pleasure, for their pursuits, for their hobbies, for their sports, for their money? Not a good decision. So, yes, Jesus says some powerful things here. He wants us to understand that, you know, all throughout Scripture, he showed a disdain for any relationship that would get between him and the Father. Remember when Peter said to him, you're not going to the cross? Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter must have been like, whoa, I'm just looking out for you here, Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus was like, any relationship that gets between me and the Father, I'm, I'm going to have a very powerful reaction against it. You See that? Get behind me, Satan. What was was with that? You know, how about with Judas? You know, Judas, you know, go and do what you got to do, Judas. You want to kiss me? You want to betray me? Go ahead. You know, but just a powerful, visceral reaction to anyone who Pilate says to him, don't you know I have control over you? You don't have any control over me. See that? See that? Any relationship that would try to manipulate him, Jesus had a visceral reaction against, and he's showing that what? Doing the will of his father was the most important thing in his life, and it should be in ours. Jesus' actions say a lot in this situation. You know, uh, words say one thing. So, sometimes people will just say stuff, but, you know, they don't live it out. If, if our walk and our talk don't match up, we don't have much impact. A lot of people can talk a good game, amen, Oh, I can do this, I can do that. You, you hear these people who talk and brag and say all this stuff, then when you get them out in the situation where they got to do what they said they could do, man, it's just like it's all, you almost feel bad for them. This is so sad, I don't even have the heart to, you know, let me buy you a milkshake or something. But a lot of people talk a good talk, but when our actions you know, speak louder than our words, that's when we make a point. Jesus' actions in this situation speak louder than his words. And in verse 48, he really drives home the point here when he asks this semi-rhetorical question. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He asks this question. Now, to the people standing there who knew him, uh, you know, this was, this was a no-brainer, this question. The, the disciples knew who Jesus' family was. They knew that Mary was his mother. They knew he, his brothers. And you know, when I grew up in, in the church that I grew up told me that Mary never had any children. Somebody get this to the Catholics. Jesus had four brothers and two sisters. It's in the scripture, Matthew twelve fifty five, uh, Matthew 13, 55. His four brothers were James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. James, his older brother, his brother that was the oldest, went on to write uh, an epistle in the New Testament. But he had brothers. He, the, the church history says he had a couple sisters and, and Mary. You know, those were Mary's kids. They weren't his cousins. They weren't his neighbors. No, he had brothers and he had a mother. Now, what kind of question is this because if you look in the New Testament, you find that there are times where Jesus's family hung around the disciples and they all knew who his mother was and who his brothers were. They were at wedding feasts together, they were at family functions, they were at some of Jesus's, you know, uh, outdoor crusade meetings where he had people all around him and they're here right now. So this question, you know, is kind of like one of these things that Jesus says where everybody gets confused. Who is my mother? and who are my brothers? What he's really doing here is he's letting us know that we Christians have more family relations than just our natural ones. We have more family relations than just our blood relations. You got more brothers and sisters and uncles and cousins. You got them. Why? Because you're part of the family of God. Amen. You know, I always like in my little preaching binder here, two people happy about the family of God, Amen. I, in my little, I keep a picture of Uncle Phil because Phil was my uncle and he's watching me while I'm preaching here, making sure I don't mess up because he always used to sit in the front row there. But that was my Uncle Phil closer to me than some of my blood relatives. You say, what is that? That's the family of God. You know, we need to enjoy being part of the family, amen? I would encourage you to get to know your brothers and sisters. Don't just run out of here. Church is over. Let's make it to the diner. We got to get a good seat. No, stay and talk and get to know one another, amen? We had men's prayer uh, yesterday morning, and we had how many? 22 people there. Guys, the rest of you, uh, I got your names now. I'm going to hunt you down. Um, But we had an awesome time just fellowship and the prayer is awesome but yet i get excited being around my brothers getting to know people just you know and you know we're not walking around like we're laughing we're cutting up we're making fun of each other it's great you know hey that's a nice shirt they sell men's clothes where you bought that you know we're just we're just having fun why because we're brothers in the lord amen and the family of god is a blessing you got more relatives than you knew about You're part of a big, healthy, happily, fun family. (laughs) It's an awesome thing, and we should revel in it and be excited about it. Now, in verse 49 through 50, uh, the text tells us exactly who is included in our large, extended spiritual family. And Jesus points to those who are following him and Uh, he, He lets us know, you know, who's who's part of the family here. It says here, and he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whomever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is, your, this is my family here. He's making points about intimacy. He's making points about family. And, and he's, you know, he's signaling uh, to his disciples here. Now, you might, you might think it's weird. All his disciples were men, and he says one of them is his mother. You, know, you say, well, what's that all about? Close, intimate relationships here. He's just trying to make the point that these guys are the closest to him uh, than, than anyone. Why? Because they follow him. There is disciples. They're with him all the time. Now, I want to say something about this. Discipleship is not an option. Well, you know, I got saved, but, you know, I accepted Jesus, but I don't want to be a disciple because that sounds like work. In fact, the word dis- disciple has the word discipline in it. It takes discipline to follow Jesus. Amen. And it takes discipline to be a disciple. And to be a disciple is not a choice. God's called us all to be his disciples. Amen. So he points to his disciples and says, this, these are my real family. This is my closest relations. These are the people I'm most intimate with. And it's a powerful point. He, he makes one single requirement here that proves membership in the family. He says in verse 50, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It's not about being in a church. It's not about being baptized into a denomination. It's not about saying, well, I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Catholic, I'm Pentecostal. No, it's about being born again and being part of the family of God. Amen. (laughs) Whoever does the will, I want you to say that word will. The will of my Father in heaven. Think about that. You know, it's doing the will of God. It's not any of those other things I just mentioned. You know, people can be religious or be involved in church and not do the will of the Father. Do you know that? In fact, there's probably some people here that are, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm not heeding the call of God in my life. I'm not getting involved like I should. I'm just a spectator. This is a spectator sport, right? Church is, you know, it's like a baseball game. Wish they served hot dogs, maybe. You know, we could just, you know, make it a little more lively in here. No, church is not a spectator sport. It, it, we're here because we're, we're here doing the will of the Father. It's the Father's will that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Amen. Now, I want to say something. You can sit in church every Sunday and not do the Father's will. You can know Jesus died for your sins and not do the Father's will. You can be part of a solid denomination, a a lively church that's, you know, doing missions and preaching good theology and not do the Father's will. You can know the scripture. You can memorize it. You can quote it and not do the Father's will. You can have talents and gifts and even the call of God on your life, which everybody has to a degree, and not do the Father's will. There is no substitute for doing the Father's will. Well, Pastor, tell us what the Father's will is. Get alone with him. Get on your knees in the secret place and seek his face. And the Holy Spirit will show you what the unique <laughs> will of God is for your life. The will of God is not for you to be, you know, a cookie cutter of any other Christian. Well, we all got to be like Pastor Rick. There's, one is enough. Trust me. No, it's the unique will of God for your life. You're not an accident. You're an on purpose. Yep. You're unique and God's called you to do something specific. Well, I don't know what it is. It, you know, uh, whatever it is, he'll show you what it is. And we need to be busy about doing it. But we can sit in church and know he died for us and be in a good denomination and know scripture and theology and quote it and have talents and gifts and all of those things and not do the will of the father. And there is no substitute. We're doing the will of God. It's what gives us unity and purpose and makes us an authentic, productive part of the body of Christ. Now, Oswald Chambers said this, and it's worked its way into a lot of devotionals. Oswald Chambers said, I read that, When Edward VI, the king of England in the 16th century, attended church worship service, he stood up while the word of God was being read. Then he took notes during the sermon and later studied them with great care. Throughout the week, he sincerely tried to apply what he had learned to his life. That's the kind of serious-minded response to the truth that the apostle James calls for us to have in his epistle. A single revealed fact cherished in the heart and acted upon is more vital to our Christian growth than a head filled of lofty ideas about God. It's about connecting with him and hearing from him and not just having head knowledge, but to be hungry and thirsty for the word, to be disciplined. Here's a king who, who, who humbled himself, who stood for the word to reverence it, who, who drank the word in and studied it and tried sincerely to apply it to his life we should do that. We should have that heart. It's pleasing to God. It's doing the Father's will, and it's what makes us part of the body of Christ, the family of God. Now, at the beginning of this message, I mentioned that Jesus was making three powerful points, one about personal access, one about real intimacy and the importance of family. We've talked quite a bit about family, but let me close with these ideas. Let's talk about personal access. I wanna say this about personal access. Only God gets to have total access to us all the time, anytime, every time. God alone should have complete access to us. Yet, with our technology and our phones and our screens, it seems like anybody at any time of the day can call us, text us, email us, whatever, and demand that we respond immediately. And this is not a good thing. Why? Because those disruptions get in the way of us many times connecting and communing with God. Many times the thing rings or the thing buzzes and we run over to it like it's a leash, like it's a ball and chain. I got to respond. Somebody says to me, I texted you and you you didn't call me back. Yeah, I was busy doing stuff and living life. Hearing from God, studying the word. I learned intimacy and access go hand in hand. We, only God gets to be, you know, the one who can access us all the time, anytime. Some people don't like this. No, my husband, he works for me and he's just gonna, he better answer that phone. And my wife, she needs to make me a sandwich every time I want one. Make your own sandwich. She's busy. Personal access. Give God access to you all the time. Don't allow anything to disrupt your time with him. Jesus didn't allow his family to interrupt his ministry because he was busy doing the Father's will. And right then at that moment, what he was doing, connecting with the multitudes, was more important than him dropping everything and running over to, because they wanted to talk to him at that minute. Let's talk about real intimacy. Real intimacy is important. We talked about you know the fact that You know, nobody likes fake people or fake intimacy. If you've ever (laughs) been around a fake person uh, or you've had to fake that you liked somebody, don't raise your hand, but we've all done this. Oh, hi. It's you. How delightful. The deepest intimacy happens not just because we related to someone by blood, but because we share a love for Jesus. The person who is born again, who has Jesus in their heart, who has the Holy Spirit in them is more connected to us than even blood family relations. Now, it's wonderful when our families get saved and we get to enjoy each other here on earth and we're going to spend eternity together. But the truth is, all our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to spend forever together with. Sometimes our blood relations, they're not saved and they don't want Jesus. We need to love them and serve them and shine the light to them and live in front of them and and give them opportunities, amen. But what I want you to see here is our real connection, our real intimacy is between those who we have Christ in common with. You are my family. You are my brothers and sisters. We need to get to know each other. We need to spend time and eat together and laugh together and pray together and, and cry together and worship together. Hello, You're thinking that's a lot of together. I'm kind of busy. Make room for real intimacy in your life. We talked about the importance of family. The family of God is such a blessing, such an important thing. As the days get darker and the times get tougher, listen, there's all kinds of things on the horizon. We don't know how it's going to go, how it's going to turn. The gas shortage, food shortages, all these things. The body of Christ is where we can rally together and support one another and be there for each other. Amen. Some people have no mother and father. They're gone. They have no brothers and sisters. Some people feel all alone. If you're in Christ, you're never alone. You're part of the family of God. Amen. 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 So as Forrest Gump said, that's all I have to say about that. And that concludes Matthew 12. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you this morning for this chapter, nine sermons out of it that have encouraged us and provoked us to godliness, taught us how to deal with people who uh, afflict us and want to argue with us. Father, help us to be a light in the darkness. Help us, Lord God, to understand we're part of the family of God. What galvanizes us together is our love for Jesus Christ fact that we need to love you more than anything or anyone. It's a call above all. It's the kingdom first. And everything else is a distant second. Help us to learn to love our families, to love our spouses, to love our children, but to put you first in all things, because as we do, that'll be the greatest testimony to them of what's really important in this life. Father, let our light shine in the darkness. And let the family of God, the people of God, the church rally around each other in these days so that the world could see the benefits of being in Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.